welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We all know to be careful what we wish for, but with Jesus, he knows what we need and how it will be so much better than what we wished. Lead teacher Jeff Norris begins the new series, The Book of Acts, Growth Against All Odds, with the first part of this sermon entitled Promises Kept, which covers Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Father, thanks for this time together. Lord, we don't want to take it for granted. We want to acknowledge that it is a great privilege to, to come here before you, Lord, to gather as your people in this place, to sing praises to you as we have done, to lift you up as the majestic Holy One, Uh, to declare your greatness uh, among the nations. And so, Jesus, we've done that. You are king. And now we pray to you, the, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Would you teach us now as we open your word? Would you, would you give us soft and tender hearts to, to receive your word? Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see, eyes of faith? to behold the beauty of our King. And so, Lord, we give this time to you and ask you, Holy Spirit, to work among us and in us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll introduce more to the book of Acts in just a moment, but I want to first kind of lead us into the main idea of the text in Acts 1 that we're going to be talking about here uh, briefly. To do that, I'll give you a quick little illustration, and I'll ask you this question. Have you ever longed for something wanted something so badly, but you don't get it. The answer is no. But a period of time later, you actually get something that's better than what you had originally wanted. You actually end up saying, oh, this is, I really wanted that. I so desperately long for that. But what I ended up with is, is actually better. Some of you immediately think of your spouse now. You think about that person you prayed for Earlier in your life, oh God, please let me marry this one. And then God leads you to someone that you say, oh God, you you really know what you're doing. Maybe you think about a job. I really wanted this job, but I ended up in this one. And so you you enjoy that. I'll I'll give you a silly illustration. Let me take you back to 1989, fifth grade. I really, really, really wanted the Air Jordan 4s. Military blue, you could, cut, you could get them in red and black and white and all these. I wanted the military blue. This, is, this was my dream right here. A couple of my buddies had them, and I spent the better part of 1989 lusting after these shoes. The epicenter of my lust happened, ironically, at church. It happened at Vacation Bible School. I can remember I was at the church that I was in, in Vacation Bible School. My buddy Brandon had these shoes on, and for whatever reason, we were doing something. We were doing a craft or something on the floor, and he was laying this way, and my head was this way, and his shoes were in front of my face for an hour. I don't think I completed the craft. Now, interestingly, his mom was in the room because she was volunteering as one of the counselors for Vacation Bible School. And in my twisted way of thinking, I, I would look at his shoes, and then I would turn to her with puppy dog eyes and just look at her and then look back at the shoes and then look at her with the most pitiful face I could muster 
and then look at the shoes. And I kept doing it over and over again, and I'm, I know that I weirded her out. And I guess in my mind, I was thinking if I just look pitiful enough and look longingly enough that she'll buy me a pair as well. Now, I remember what happened is I asked my parents if I could have a pair of Jordans, but they were so expensive. They said, well, you can save up your money, and maybe when the new pair comes out, you'll have saved enough to where you can have a pair of your own. I thought, okay, I'll do that. I began saving for my allowance. But by that time, by the time I had the money, it was 1990. I was in sixth grade, and there was a new shoe on the market. (laughs) And it was these bad boys right here, the David Robinson pumps. Now listen, to a sixth grader, if your shoe could pump, you were the coolest. So Air Jordan no longer was the coolest, although he would, that one would stand the test of time. Nobody knows what this shoe is. But anyway, this was the shoe. And so I walked into Hibbit Sports and I laid my $140 on the table, which is still, back then I'm like, 140 bucks, are you kidding? That's a lot of money back then. That's a lot of money now for a pair of shoes. And I laid it on the table and I took my huge honking size 11 at the time, David Robinson's, I had huge feet. My nickname became Pontoon because they were so big on me. (laughs) But I loved those Pontoons, I loved them. Everywhere we went, if I just brushed up even the slightest little bit against something and looked and felt that there was a scuff mark of some kind, I'd hit my knees, lick my finger, rub. (laughs) This, the David Robinson pumps, were so much better than what I originally longed for at least in my mind. Now, it's a silly illustration, but this is what's true with the human experience a lot. We long for something, we want something, and we think that's what's best for us, and then down the road, we don't get that, but we actually land somewhere where we're able to look back and we say, wow, this is actually better. I don't want to be naive to the reality that for many of you in here, um, you're still waiting, you're still longing for the better. And that's part of the human experience as well. And I want to acknowledge that. Some of you are in a place and have been in a place and we all will be in a place and we haven't been where we were longing for something and we didn't get it and we're still in the waiting and what has come has actually not been better. It's actually been worse. And so that's reality as well. But many times over in the human experience, the reality of longing for something and waiting and waiting, not getting it, but then landing somewhere that's actually better is something that we can all relate to. Here's the point I'm trying to make. We, we long for what we think is best. And almost always, what that is that we're longing for, that we think is best, is almost always centered on our kingdom, my kingdom, the kingdom of Jeff, the kingdom of insert your name, and my glory. That's how we function. Now, left unto ourselves, apart from God's grace and mercy and renewing work in our lives, we are going to be about what we think is best according to our standards, according to our comfort, according to our needs, according to our ease, according to our glory, according to me. And the truth of the scriptures and the truth of the gospel brings us back, recenters us over and over again on the reality that God leads us to what is best. It may be uniquely and drastically different from what we had longed for, but he leads us to what is best. And what is best for us according to him and according to his standards and goodness is always centered on his kingdom and his glory, not ours. We're gonna see that in the book of Acts. We're gonna see that in the text, the first 11 verses of the book of Acts today. And we're gonna see that the disciples are longing for something that they think is best. And God says, I have something better for you. 
It was different from what they had imagined. And so let me read those verses to you, and then I want to give you just an overview, an overview of, uh, of where we're headed. Let me read Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. It says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So we're launching into this series on Acts. It's going to be a three-year series. <laughs> Buckle up. I'm joking, kind of. So it is a three-year series in parts, okay? So we're going to do part one for the next seven weeks. So we'll basically carry us through the, through the month of February. And that'll get us through the first eight chapters of Acts. Next year, 2021, we'll do, we'll do part two get through the middle part of Acts into the latter part of Acts, and then 2022, we'll do part three, finishing the book out. So by the end of this series, we will have walked through the entire book of Acts, and so I'm taking your presence here today as a, as a gesture to say that you are committed to being here for the next three years, okay? So we have an agreement. Um, Acts, Acts was written by, by Luke, who also wrote... The Gospel of Luke, the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. The way that we know this is because, uh, well, we know for many reasons, but the, one of the primary reasons is because of who the book is addressed to. You'll notice there in the first line of Acts, the first verse of Acts, it says, in the first book, O Theophilus. And we all together say who? But if you go back to Luke, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, you see that that is also addressed to Theophilus. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand that Luke uh, was not one of the disciples, but Luke was with the disciples often. It says that he was uh, an eyewitness of the, of the work and the resurrection of Jesus. And he would, most of what we get in Acts is from his account as he traveled with Paul. And so he was very much an eyewitness to all that happened with Jesus, both in his ministry and after his resurrection and ascension and the establishment of the church. And what I want you to think about is this, is I want you to think about the book of Luke that he wrote, the gospel of Luke, which is the account of Jesus's life and ministry when he was physically on earth. And then the book of Acts, which is his account of the continued work of Jesus once he had ascended to reign at the right hand of the Father. And I want you to think of those as one book in two parts. 
because they go to, together. It's, it's, it's what Luke is saying here. He's saying, Theophilus, I'm going to write to you about the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, and all that he came to do in his ministry, in his life here on this earth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And then I'm going to write to you now, part two, about how his work continues, even though he's not with us physically, and it actually continues in a more profound way through his people by his spirit. Um, so I want you to understand that the work of Jesus as Lord is the subject of both Luke and Acts. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. Let me mention this. Acts is most likely misnamed in your Bible. Okay, the words that we read, the verses that we read are God's inspired holy word, but the titles that are put in there are not. And so your Bible, like mine, probably says the Acts of the Apostles, which is not entirely accurate. Because can we really say that? Because the book actually just focuses primarily on Peter and Paul. And as the kingdom of God expanded northward and westward towards Rome. We know from history that, the, that all the disciples went out into various places. Some went down into, the, into Africa, into northern Africa. And in fact, one of the main staples, strongholds of the Christian faith in the early church was North Africa. Uh, history holds for us that Thomas, one of the twelve, went east and went into India and South Asia to evangelize and to tell people about Jesus in this kingdom of God. We're not told about those in the book of Acts. And so can we really say this is the Acts of the Apostles? Others have called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which is true. God does great work accounted for us in the book of Acts through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a, a significant theme in the book, but it's not the main theme. The book probably should be named the Acts of the Risen and Ascended Lord Jesus. It's still focused on him as king, as Lord. It's still focused on him and his coming kingdom. And so the main theme that I would give you for the book of Acts is simply this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord as he continues to establish and expand the kingdom of God. That's the main theme of this book. Jesus is Lord, the establishment, the expansion of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God bookends the book. Uh, he opens up, and we already read it there in verse 3. It says this, to them, talking about Jesus, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke is trying to sum up, what did Jesus do for 40 days? What was it that he was about for 40 days after he had resurrected and before he ascended? And he sums it up in one phrase. He says, and he just kept speaking to them about the kingdom of God. It's what he came saying as well. When he came, when he first showed up on the scene, he's baptized by the Holy Spirit. He's sent out into his public ministry. And what does he say? He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Or as Luke says it in his account, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus came to bring the kingdom. He came to, to give his life as a ransom for many. And this kingdom is as we'll see, is, is a subversive, upside-down, different, unique kingdom than any other kingdom that we could ever dream of or come up with. But he's bringing this kingdom based on sacrifice and selflessness, but ultimately based on him and his sacrifice and selflessness for his people to do what we could not do, to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay, to live the life that we could not live and defeat death that we cannot defeat to do it in our place and then make it available to us to rule and reign in our hearts 
from now throughout eternity. This is what he came to do. This is what the kingdom of God is. The gospels tell us the kingdom of God is at hand. The book of Acts basically follows up on that to ask the question, so what does this kingdom begin to look like now that he's ascended and he's left his people to build the church through his spirit? What does it look like? What does it look to to be kingdom people submitted to the king as Lord? That's what the book of Acts is going to lead us into. Let me give you uh, some definitions of the kingdom of God. I don't know about you. Uh, as I grew up in church, I would hear this phrase often, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And it always felt like a fairly arbitrary term to me. I didn't understand exactly what that meant. I'm like, is there a castle somewhere I'm missing? Like, what does this mean? Let me give you some clear definitions. John Stott says it this way. He says, the kingdom of God is his rule set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. It's that simple, yet that profound. The kingdom of God is his rule set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. He comes to reign in us and through us. He goes on to say, it is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers, through a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war, and by the work of the Spirit, not by force of arms, political intrigue, or revolutionary violence. Like I mentioned a moment ago, this is going to be, or this is, as Jesus ushered it in, a uniquely different strange even kingdom to anything the world has ever known or will know. The kingdoms that we come up with are the kingdoms that are, as Stott said, that are built on soldiers and declarations of war and force of arms and political intrigue and revolutionary violence. This is how we go about establishing kingdoms. And Jesus shows up and he says, no, no, no. I am the king. And this is how the kingdom of God looks. If anyone wants to be first, he must first be last. If anyone wants to follow after me, the king, Jesus, you must take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me daily. It's going to be a kingdom that's centered not on ourselves and our power, but centered on God and his power, his glory, his majesty, and the care and the concern and the love for others that they would know and understand and comprehend and receive and accept and live out under his flourishing reign. His good, benevolent reign as king. Simon Kistemacher, another commentator, says this, the kingdom is God's rule in the hearts and lives of his people who as citizens of this kingdom receive remission of sins and eternal life. The phrase kingdom of God meant preaching the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and making disciples of all nations. I already pointed out to you that Luke starts right off the bat summing up what Jesus did both in his ministry all those three years but then also those 40 days, those compacted 40 days where he revealed himself in many proofs to be alive. What did he talk about? He talked about the kingdom of God. So how does he frame the book of Acts? And we're going to do what you're not supposed to do when you're reading a book. I'm going to take you to the, to the end so you'll know where we land in three years in case you aren't committed to being here for all three years. You get to the last chapter of Acts, and it's no coincidence. This is not happenstance. This is not, oh, wow, Luke's not writing going, well, isn't that neat how that worked out? He's purposefully framing this to help us understand what this whole thing is all about. So he says it in the very first verses, and he closes his whole book by emphasizing again the importance of this kingdom. In verse 23, this is the Apostle Paul. It says this, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him, this is Paul, at his lodging in greater numbers. 
And listen to this. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to what? To the kingdom of God. And if you're going to talk about the kingdom, you've got to talk about the king. So it says, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the prophets, or from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Then you skip to the very last two verses of the book of Acts. What do we see emphasized yet again? Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense. This is Paul again. And welcome all who came to him. What was he doing? He was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What is the book of Acts about? It's about King Jesus as Lord. Establishing and expanding his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now, what are the secondary themes? How does he do that? Let me give you a few of those real quick. That's the main theme, but how is he going to go about doing that? What do, we, what do we see emphasized a ton in the book of Acts as a part of this main theme? Here's three to give you quickly. He does this. He, he, he establishes and expands his kingdom through his people who are increasingly a people of all nations. What we're going to see in the book of Acts time and time again is that what used to be what was centered on God's people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, God's chosen people throughout the Old Testament, is now a gospel for the whole world. It's now a gospel for Jew and Gentile alike. It's now good news. This kingdom of God is not just for a nation, a group, but it's for all nations, for all groups. And we hear that today. If you've been in or around church, you've heard that many times, and you go, okay, uh, okay, well, big deal. We've, we know this. But this would have been shocking. It would have been shocking to the original hearers, and I'll speak more to that in just a moment. He does this through his Holy Spirit. You'll see the Holy Spirit come up often. Next week we'll talk a ton about the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of his people as he is poured out to indwell and empower his people. Another secondary theme that's critical throughout the book is that he does this through a people who face tremendous opposition and persecution. Part of the better kingdom of God, better than what we would come up with, is that there will be opposition and persecution. And you say that's better? And in God's design of things and how he has called us into himself and made us, made us those who go and proclaim the goodness of his kingdom, we know that we will, we will, just like those in the book of Acts, we'll experience persecution and opposition. And in so doing, we will experience the nearness and the goodness and the presence of our God in ways we never, hood, we never would without it. But let's dive in. That's a little bit of an overview. 30,000, 40,000 foot view of Acts. Let's jump back into the text. This, these first 11 verses of Acts chapter one. I'm just gonna read the first five verses to you again and point a couple of things out. It says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication is I'm gonna continue to do that. This is part two of the same book. Until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them, he presented himself alive. This is not halfway alive. This is not ghost-like alive. This is physical resurrection. He presented to them himself as no, no bones about it, no questions asked. According to Luke, he is alive. After his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. To wait for the promise of the Father. If you go back to John 14, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give to you the helper, the Holy Spirit. And I want you to wait on that promise. And oh, hasn't God been faithful to his promises? Disciples knew their Jesus well. The disciples knew the Old Testament well. And they knew that God had promised a Messiah, that he had promised a deliverer, that he had promised a kingdom. And all of these things were coming to fruition. And so he tells them to wait yet again for something better to come. Because you know that they're probably freaking out. Is he going to leave us again? And he's telling them, wait. Wait for that promise. I will keep my promises. And then he says this, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That'll be next week's focus as we talk about Pentecost and what happened on that day. But I wanna, I wanna zoom in on verses six through eight for the remainder of our time together. Verse six says this, so when they had come together, that's the disciples, with Jesus, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? We have to understand how critical uh, it is to, to, to enter into what the disciples were feeling all throughout Jesus' ministry. The whole time that Jesus was with them, physically in the flesh, the, that whole time, they are still holding out hope that the reason that he came was to fulfill their greatest longings, which is to restore the kingdom to Israel and to reign with him in Jerusalem, uh, to, to deliver them from what they think they most need, which is deliverance from the, Rome, the Romans, to give them back the splendor of the kingdom that they had, that, that their ancestors had uh, about a thousand years earlier under the rule of David and his son Solomon. And they said, again, when the Messiah comes, again, we will have that. And that's why he's coming. And then when he died, they went, um, this is not how it's supposed to go. And so when he died, they scattered and they denied and they doubted and they betrayed because the Messiah is not supposed to die. The Messiah is to make those who are against us die. And, and so they didn't understand. But he rose from the dead. And they go, oh. I get it now, Jesus. I, I, I'm still not fully understanding the whole why you had to die thing. But, but now you're alive again. And so is now the time? This is the question they're asking. Is now the time that you are going to march into Jerusalem and overthrow the Romans and restore the kingdom and give us back our national pride? Is, is, it's going to be now, right, Jesus? And, and they had vested interests, right? Because they're his disciples, they're his cronies, they're his posse. If he's going to be king, what does that mean for them? We get power. We get power, we get adulation, we get reputation, we get fame, we get to be seen. Is now the time, Jesus? And they're still not getting it. The spirit has not been poured out yet. And so they don't have spiritual understanding as to what the kingdom of God is. But listen to how Jesus answers them. He, does, he kind of softly rebukes them. He could have just 
made fun of them and just said, oh my goodness, guys, you still don't get this. But he just says this, listen, guys, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, the secret things of God are his. And there is a time coming. Let me be clear about this. There is a time coming where Jesus will return again and it will be a physical kingdom. And we will, as his people, reign and rule with him in the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. That day is coming, but it's not time yet. And so what he says to him is this. You want power? You want power? Listen, verse 8. But you will receive power. Here's how it's going to work. When the Holy Spirit comes, has come upon you, and here's the thing, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I know we read that and we go, that's nice. Sounds like a good verse to memorize. They heard that and their jaws dropped. We have to understand, we got to put ourselves in their shoes. They know the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, everything in the history of God's uh, interaction with his people had been a funnel to Israel, had been a funnel to Jerusalem. There was concern for the nations, for sure. And we see the heart of God and his heart for the nations. But there was concern for the nations that it was, it was come to Mount Zion, march to the temple, pilgrimage to the Holy of Holies, be where the Spirit of God dwells, in the Ark of the Covenant, be around him in the tabernacle. It was all about come to us because we are the chosen people. We are the ones whom God has bestowed upon blessing. And so we are now to be a light to the nations. And so if you want to know the God of the universe, you have to come to us and bow down with us. But we are his people. And there, was this, there became this sinful elitism that came with that as a part of being God's people. But the funnel was coming in to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, in this one statement, Jesus turns that whole thing on its head. And now the funnel is going out from Jerusalem. And he's saying, you want power? I got something better than you could ever imagine. The profound nature of the kingdom of God is not that you get me with you. This is Jesus speaking. It's not that you get me with you in the flesh to reign in a physical castle somewhere. But it's that you get my spirit, the very spirit of God, in you, indwelling you, empowering you to actually go and be my witnesses in an ever-broadening circle. And don't you know they were with him in the first two places he mentioned? They were like, oh, I'm with you, Jesus. That sounds great to me. He says, and I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Got it. Sounds good. Jewish territory with that. Judea. Sounds great. Got a lot, of, a lot of Jewish friends there. Family. Sounds good. And then he says, I want you to be my witnesses in Samaria. I, I'm sorry, what, what did he say? I, did he, he, guys, he just said Samaria. What, our enemies our hated enemies, and interestingly enough, this is not just about the expansion of the kingdom geographically, okay? Because the next geographic expansion would have actually been Galilee. But he doesn't even mention Galilee. He says Samaria not primarily because of the geographical, natural, logical expansion, but because of the ethnic and cultural implications to say that the expanding kingdom of God is no longer just for you. It is for all nations. It is for all people groups. It is for all ethnicities to be one together worshiping with me, worshiping with you uh, uh, to me, the, the king. And he says, Samaria. And then he says, and to the ends of the earth, and they okay, he's lost his mind. 
to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that we are now a people empowered by the Spirit of God in us, in us underneath his lordship, submitting to his lordship. We are a people who are on the move now. His disciples would have been bewildered, yet intrigued. I love the way Leslie Newbegin says it about what is the purpose of the church now. The church is the pilgrim people of God. It is on the move, hastening to the ends of the earth to beseech all men to be reconciled to God and hastening to the end of time to meet its Lord who will gather all into one. And so who are we to be as a people of God? We are to be a people on the move, embracing his mission, being his witnesses, gathering into one people of all ethnicities and cultures and people groups to say this is what the unique, subversive, crazy, upside down, weird kingdom of God looks like and it's different from anything else that you and I would ever come up with on our own and it's actually infinitely better than anything that we would ever long for before Jesus introduced us to this. Later this year, Rachel and I are going to get to go on a cruise with some friends, part of vacation. I haven't been on a cruise since 2004. I've been on two of my whole life. And here's what I remember about cruises. I love the ship. That ship is amazing. I, it blows my mind how something that big can float. I still don't get it. God did not grant me the intellectual ability to grasp that. It's a city on water, and it has everything that you could ever want to be entertained for a week and just go, wow, this is amazing. Here's the thing about a, a cruise, though. Cruise, a cruise is moving. It's going places. I don't care. I don't go on a cruise because of where it's going. In fact, the one we're taking, I have no idea where it's going. I don't remember. <laughs> I just know it's in the Caribbean, and I'm going to be on a ship that amazes me. And, and I'm going to go, okay, wow, this is an incredible vacation. But I, I don't care because there's so much on the ship that keeps me engaged and entertained because it's ultimately about me wanting to experience what the ship has to offer. Listen to me, Perimeter Church. Don't be enamored with the ship that is this facility. Okay, we've got, we have bells and whistles here that you think that's what church is all about. And what we do is we do the very same thing as the disciples. We ask the question, what's in it for me? Is now the time when you establish your kingdom? Why? Because I want power. I want to be made felt great. I want comfort. I want ease. I want my kingdom fed. And Jesus says, that's not what my kingdom is about. But we, what do we do? We show up to church. We get enamored with the ship. We say, this place has everything that I want. And then when we're not happy with something, we say, I need a better program here. I need something better for my kids here. I need something better here. And all the while, God is saying, this place is moving. We're going somewhere. It's not about you and your happiness. It's about my kingdom and his holiness. It's about what he is up to, to be witnesses to the nations. It's not about us and our entertainment. And we say we want a better program. He says, I want you to embrace the glory and the majesty and the goodness of the king and be so enamored with him that you're enveloped in his kingdom and you say, I have to be witnesses to everyone around me in ever-expanding circles through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian life. Let me tell you, I'm gonna say this often in this series. 
The Holy Spirit empowers us to go places we normally wouldn't go, to do things that we normally wouldn't do, to say things we normally wouldn't say, and to be with people we normally wouldn't be with. If you show up to church because what you're most interested in is being with people you like to be with, saying things that you would say whether you're empowered by the Holy Spirit or not, doing things that you would do whether you're empowered by the Holy Spirit or not, or going places you would go uh, whether you're empowered by the Holy Spirit or not, then you're not in church for the right reasons because what God says the mission of his church is, is to be empowered by the Spirit to go, do, say, and be things that we would never be otherwise if not for him. To move out into the world around us and to be witnesses for the kingdom of God and to the lordship of Jesus. That's his vision for Perimeter Church. It was his vision for the church from the very beginning. It's his vision for the church now. And I am eager. I'm excited. I have great anticipation for how he is going to continue to do his work as we are his spirit-empowered witnesses. So I hope you're excited about this series. Hope you're excited about what God's doing in and among us, both now and the years to come. Let me pray. Father, thanks for this time together. And thank you for your grace and your goodness that you would give us your word to teach us. That you would call us even to be your witnesses. That you would do something so profound and, and just unthinkable as to Give us the very spirit of God to indwell us, the third person of the Trinity. That you, O Holy Spirit, give us your power to do what we could never do apart from you. And so, Lord, would you indeed empower us to go and to do and to say and to be something unique and different as your witnesses? Father, we want to see a God, a God work done here, not a, not a human work. And it's not just about perimeter, Lord. We want to be about your kingdom. So we give ourselves to you, Jesus. You are our Lord, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.